0: Readings for Ex Libras On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. And joining me from Colorado is author William Brin. Bill, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thank you. This you. has an unusual, sort of a slightly cynical title, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Where did that title come from? And tell us about the background story. Why did this book get written?
1: Well, the title is, uh, it, its a, I believe, a pretty well-known phrase about uh, people that uh, do a good deed and then uh, through no fault of theirs, something uh, in the background uh, happens to, to almost make them regret doing it. And I, I thought it was a very appropriate uh, title for a book about a guy that does something for someone and then uh, it ends up... Being the uh, recipient of a, of a bad deed in return, and um, my idea for the story was just that—you uh, know—that this guy would do something, and through no fault of his, uh, something else happens in the background that almost makes him regret doing it.
0: Your main character, that's Mike Grissom, correct? Yes, And who is Mike? You have a background as being involved in the airline industry as a, an air traffic controller, instructor, as some of those other areas. Am I understanding your personal background?
1: Yes, that's correct. How does yes. Mike fit into this? Um, Mike, is, uh, he's, he is a um, computer animation uh, person. Um, I, I did put a lot of uh, little references to aviation and air traffic control in the book. But um they're just in passing little uh little things that I thought uh, you know a- added to my feel for the book. Um Mike isn't involved in uh, aviation at all. Um I just wanted him to be a uh professional, um working in a an up and coming industry, somewhat artistic, um but you know, a lot of technical um yeah, he had to have a good technical background too. So I just wanted him to be a somewhat rounded character.
0: And and what uh, where does the story take place? This is uh, your background. You have spent a lot of your career in Colorado. Was uh, Mike from Colorado, or where was he from?
1: Well, originally he was from the Chicago area, which is where I grew up. Uh, I was uh, I, I lived in Chicago, the uh, suburbs. I was in my twenties, and then I moved out west uh, to both Utah and Colorado. And um, the story takes place actually in uh, Southern California, the Los Angeles area, in uh, 1999. Um, I um, I've been to Southern California a lot of times. Uh, my wife worked there back in the 70s and the 80s, or she at least lived there back in the 70s and the 80s. We've been uh, we've been there a lot. And uh, I wanted to place it there because um, the, one of the uh, supporting characters is uh, in the uh, entertainment industry. But um, as far as my background, well, um, um, you know, I'm in Colorado now, but I wanted it to be there because um, that, that's just about what fit right for the story that I wanted to write.
0: Your other character, Veronica Lang, who is Veronica?
1: Uh, Veronica is an actress. Um, uh, she's been involved in uh, uh, movies, TV shows. Um, th- these are people that are in their late 20s, and um, uh, she's an actress who's been... She starred on a couple of shows, and uh, she was in the process of getting married in a couple of weeks, and her fiancé backed out of it.
0: Hmm. The book, as you've written it, no good deed goes unpunished. Would you describe it as an action thriller? Is it uh, personality-driven or character-driven? What would your descriptive be of your of your novel?
1: To me, it's a character-driven um, kind of an edgy romantic dramedy. It's uh, about mainly about two people, but there is a supporting cast that just adds a lot of color to it. And um, it, it's more than just the two main characters, but uh, it, it's a lot of what goes on between them, not so much the romantic part, but a lot of the relationship of getting to uh, know each other and, um, being able to, um, uh, forgive, uh, being able to get the courage to do something, uh, with, uh, someone and, um, yeah, it's, uh.
0: Are there other authors that that you have uh, tr- not tried to emulate, necessarily, because I know putting your own stamp of uh, style on there is important, but are there other authors that you, you hope that you'll be compared to?
1: Um, actually, no, I can't think. I, I've read a lot of fiction. I've read a lot of nonfiction. But this was just something that I wanted to do in a style that that I felt comfortable with. Um to me, it was almost a movie in my head. And so I was writing these, these uh, little scenes as I'd go, go through. And um, it, it was more of my own personal style, the way I talk, the way I like to um, tell stories to friends, to uh, anybody that, uh, you know, coworkers, or whatever. But um, I can't say I was trying to emulate any particular author.
0: Well, it's good to be a unique individual. Uh, describe the creative process for my listeners, if you will. How did you get started, the first page, the first uh, first word, as a Boeing 737 lifted off runway 25 at Denver International Airport? How did that phrase come to you, and how did you begin your novel?
1: Well, actually, I didn't begin it at the beginning. Uh, the original idea for the novel came to me from, I had, I had a picture of someone in my head, uh, actually I had seen pictures of, uh, of this character and uh, I just started to think about what it would be like to know this person this, this woman and just some of the things that uh, would have been interesting you know, I actually started thinking about the scenarios in the middle of it in the middle of the novel and the way that I write is um, I just start picking little pieces all over the place and inserting them in um something in the way of uh just uh building a house where you work on one thing at a time and you know one thing just kind of builds on another but i didn't i didn't actually start at the beginning and write it through um the part about uh, uh taking off from runway 25 at denver i i wanted something to uh um set the tone of what was going to happen And being in the Denver area, familiar with the airport, and knowing how the uh, story was going to play out, I wanted something where people would get an idea that uh, something devious is going to happen. It just seemed like a good way to start it.
0: This uh, novel, because you mentioned that it has to do with relationships, and uh, I will use the word "touchy-feely stuff." Uh, is okay. this a a novel that's going to be a chick novel, or is this going to appeal to a wider audience?
1: You know, I was trying to stay away from it just being chick lit. <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> when when uh, you know, in in uh, talking to uh, the my publisher and uh, editors. I was trying to stay away from it just being a romance novel or a romantic comedy or anything like that. I wanted it to be more about the relationship between these two people, about a lot of the background, a lot of the uh, the friends that they have that, uh, you know, friends with good intentions, but bad advice. You know, they tell right. them things about the other person that, that they don't understand. And, uh, it, it these, Uh, Friends, they they really want something good for the people they know, but they don't know the full story. So um, I I was trying to make it appeal to adults, both um, men and women, who would be interested in a story like this. I tried very hard to stay away from it just being a romance novel.
0: I sort of thought that might be the direction you had taken, but I was just curious because you had used that phrase or given that impression that there was a lot of uh, interaction, uh, Mm -hmm. emotional interaction between your characters. Uh, As you completed this, is there any theme or underlying story that came through?
1: Well, you know, um, there are a couple of themes that I was looking at. One of them is, uh, the, the idea of getting the courage to do something when you know you've done something wrong—you uh, know—you have to fix it if it's something really important to you. Um, there are times when doing nothing is just not an option, and when you realize that that you've done something wrong, then you have to go fix it. Um, the uh, the courage to do that, the courage to forgive someone who has who has wronged you um if if it's important to you if uh if the reason that they did it was by mistake uh, you just have to be able to uh look at the situation and see if if this is the best thing for you and and to be able to to uh, uh, accept an apology um another thing i was looking at is <clears throat> you know staying away from regret for the rest of your life um you know there are things that we've done in our lives, that I'm sure that, you know, everybody would, would, um, can, can probably think of something that they would have done differently. You can't change it, but you, you, you learn from, uh, past experiences that if you don't want to have that regret, maybe you have to take a chance on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes the, uh, the results could be actually quite good
0: there must be at least one or two scenes that will jump out and grab the reader's attention. In your mind, what are those?
1: One of them that I can think of is when uh, Veronica, who um, known to her friends as Ronnie, uh, she goes to the hospital and uh, Mike's there. He's just uh, done a really good deed for somebody. He's, he saved someone and he's in the hospital and he's uh laying in bed, he's asleep and his neighbor who is always trying to set him up with her friends, his married neighbor is always trying to set him up with her friends, uh, is there and Orion comes into the Veronica comes into the uh hospital room and uh Stephanie, the neighbor, just asks her, What are you doing here? Oh, of course she does it a little bit more forcefully than that. And um, you know, there's a, a bit of a confrontation there and uh Uh, Ronnie turns around and she ends up leaving because she just has this regret about what she did and she gets down to the uh, entrance to the hospital and then something changes in her mind and she takes care of the problem and that's one of them Um, another one is um, there is a uh, scene where um, I don't know if I should be giving away all this information but there's a scene where um, Veronica uh, shows up at uh, Mike's place with another guy, and he's invited her over for dinner. Um, and she's the, he, she asked if she could bring a friend um, and but he isn't quite expecting the display that she puts on uh, for him, and uh, it's it's disheartening to him to to see that uh, how she uh, acts to him and uh it's all because she had a communication mix up with a friend of hers, mm. and she thinks that he lied to her so
0: I'm seeing uh, Movie of the Week that's what you've described to me. It sounds like there's a movie in your future. I don't know what do you think
1: um yes actually <laughs> I, I i have this in my mind as a as a movie i mean it, it, that's what it played in my mind as I was writing it um I've never written a novel before, and so Expand on what's in my mind. It was a, a real, um, a real experience for me.
0: Well, Bill, how long so, did it take to finish your book?
1: Um, it took not quite, uh, oh, about two and a half years.
0: Two and a half years. And is yeah. there something else on the horizon? Are you planning a follow-up book or a sequel to this
1: one? Not a sequel, but I have a couple of things that I'm working on. One of them, well, one of them I put on the back burner when I got this idea idea for this uh, other story that I'm writing. So, yeah, it it, it, it opened the floodgates for me. And, uh, I could actually try and do this, and, and uh, uh, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the result that I got, but now I'm trying something else. It's not along the same lines as, you know, a happy, uh, happy ending type of thing, but uh, I think it's a good story.
0: Congratulations on completing this one and getting it out to the public. The title again is No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Our author, who has joined me from Colorado, William Brinn. B-R-I-N-N, if you're doing a search online. Bill, where can my listeners get copies of your book?
1: Well, they can get it off Ex Libris, uh, that's my publisher, and uh, it is available on Amazon, and I noticed that it's available through uh, uh, bookstores also, as far as uh, e-books, and uh, you can order it, uh, and they can order it too, but it is Amazon and Ex Libris, or the two that uh, come up,
0: and are you developing a website to share your other ideas?
1: Haven't done a website yet. I am considering it. Um, I am available on Facebook, um, and uh, that's, uh, no, I don't have a, a website yet.
0: A lot of my authors will uh, develop a webpage or develop a fan page on Facebook, and that's a good way to keep in touch with you. Again, William Brinn, B-R-I-N-N, has been my guest. The title of the book, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. For Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
1: Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look at the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve
3: Jorgensen. The title of the book, Lead Truly, The 33 Basics to Achieve True Leadership, and the author is Patrick Gonya, and Patrick joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you with us all the way from Switzerland, and you really live and breathe this. That's why I guess you call it Lead Truly. I mean, this is what has made you who you are today by focusing on these kinds of leadership principles
4: yes absolutely steve um i've actually developed over the years uh some core values and some core principles that i strongly believe in and um it's uh, really a. Uh, uh, a story uh, that matured over time because I first had the idea of something like this when I was at university and that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> so with my professional experience and private experience in addition to my um, uh, education at university, well, I put everything together in a book that uh, has the title Lead Truly, the 33 Basics to Achieve True Leadership and uh, it's like uh, uh what I'm giving to people from my own experience and my own education at uh, age 48.
3: Now is this just for CEOs or business people?
4: Well, I'd like to make that clear. It's not only for CEOs and business people or business students in business schools. And that's a big difference from main, uh, all the other uh, main books on leadership that you will find on the market there's plenty of authors on leadership and books available um, in North America especially, but also in Europe and in Asia. But uh, most authors are, are American or some Canadian as well. But I've tried a, a new approach and a new angle here. I've tried to uh, make leadership simple, you know, appro- uh, approachable for an un- could be, so that it could be understood by most people. But most men and women, whatever their education is, and most importantly, whatever their, their profession is. Uh, Maine authors have talked about leadership and uh, written of, about leadership uh, with CEOs in mind, or politicians, or military uh, leaders in mind, but I wrote this really with uh, all active men and women around the world in mind, tried to help them develop skills and qualities that will allow them to rise as leaders, or better leaders, if they're already leaders, to rise as better leaders in their professional and private lives.
3: Well, your book is kind of a workbook in a sense because you give a basic rule. I'm looking at your book right now, and then you have a, an area for notes. So, as a person studies, like this basic. Rule number one, and I'll, this is the title of it, Lead Your Way, Achieve What You Want, Conquer. Then afterwards, there's this uh, section for notes that, that you can you know, put down what you're feeling as you ponder the things that you are teaching here.
4: Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's basically an educational book. So I had active men and women in mind, and not only grown-ups, but also young uh, teenagers uh, boys or girls at school at a young age is from for example you know like 12-15 years old uh, they start developing dreams and aspirations of what they want to be in life and uh, uh, there's uh, some very simple leadership uh, pr- practices or principles that can help them too at a very young age to uh, fulfill their dreams or uh, become leaders at a young age you can see uh Teenagers already today uh, in the world rising in uh, in different professions uh, in sports, for example, they become champions younger at a younger and younger age. And uh, at that age, it's crucial to have some guidelines or principles that you can uh, hold on to and um, have in mind to develop your leadership already at that age.
3: This basic rule number one. Again, lead your way, achieve what you want, conquer. And that is probably, to a lot of people, they might say, I can't get what I really want. But you're advocating that you can. You can achieve what you want.
4: I truly believe, indeed, that uh, all men and women or young and adults uh, have potential. Everybody, I truly believe in humankind and in the potential of every human, single human being. I'm not gonna say that uh everybody can rise as top leaders or presidents or uh generals in the army or uh CEOs in, in big multinational corporations. But you can become a leader in other fields and you can also become a leader in your private life, in, in a better life, and uh to have a better life. And um it is achieve what you want in the in the in the first principle, achieve what you want is Truly, uh, what I think is possible for everybody, of course, if you set a goal too high, well, you're not going to be able maybe to achieve it. And that's another rule in my book just a little further, some pages further further down. It's uh, rule number three. You have to uh, lead and act with a clear vision and clear goals and clear priorities and a clear plan. And that has to be based also on your um, on your skills, on your talent, uh, and that's rule number two, it's lead and act and develop and maximize your talent, your skills, your knowledge, what you're really made for. You can't achieve something that you're not made for, that's really an important point. Uh, it's rule number two uh, that's, that says that you really have to stick on on your own skills, on your own strengths, on your own talent, and develop and maximize that. And if you do that, I truly believe you can achieve what you're meant for and what you truly can lead in. Is there a reason that there are 33
3: basic rules? Where did 33 come from?
4: Well, that's an uh, interesting question, and uh, it's a little bit, uh, I will say, honestly, it's a little bit by uh, total chance that I got on 33, I just started writing my book without any number of rules in mind, but um, I developed the first five rules and first 10 rules, and I put them in a precise order that makes sense, and the order is very important, uh, just to go one after each other and not to mix them up, and I came then to 15, 20 uh, rules, and I wasn't done that done that yet, sorry, and um, well I just came to 33 uh, by chance, and I stuck to 33 uh, just for one reason because I um, have some uh, knowledge in numerology. And in numerology, 33 is what you call a master number, which is an important uh, which is a number that allows people or has a significance of great real uh, great achievements. So I'm just... Uh, thinking and hoping that numerology will help people with 33 rules uh, to achieve great things.
3: I want to emphasize that, again, that this is for everyone, not just for the business-minded person, the CEO type, the analytical person. Uh, this is for uh, everyone from all walks of life. And you've made it so it's uh, simple, practical, because it comes down to like a one-page page basic rule that you can study and ponder, and it's this whole book is under 90 pages.
4: Yeah, you're totally right, Steve. That uh, was uh, one of my goals, and it's uh, actually written on the, one of the last pages of the book. I really wrote this book with the uh, KISS principle in mind, which is keep it short and simple. You know, there's plenty of leadership books on the market, and they're 300 pages, 400 pages, 500 pages long. It's very nice. It's very good. And I, I I have a lot of admiration for these great authors on leadership who have developed great theories and great explanations of in details on hundreds of pages of how to become a great leader. But you know, the problem with books that long is that it's – really long to write, to read and people have less and less time to read in this complex and fast world we're living in and second of all when it's so long you really get to the last page and you wonder well what am I going to keep of all this what am I actually going to keep of these 500 pages let's say and use on a daily basis and that's a whole other exercise that uh, starts once you've read such books like the, those so I tried to make it simple, short and simple, under 100 pages. It's even under 90, it's under 90 pages. And to, I made a lot of efforts to just to try to um, uh, uh, create the rules right and in a precise order that uh, can allow you to develop your leadership skills in all Areas or all profession, professions possible in life, like you were saying, it's for any walk of life, and that's really was an important part of my of writing the book. It was a great challenge because I don't know any other book that tries to do that. And um, like you were saying before, I mean, most books on leadership were made for CEOs or politicians or military leaders. And these rules that I've put together really apply to any kind of profession or activity or walk of life um, in the world today in the 21st century. So I'm thinking of people who want to rise as leaders in sports and become champions if they have talent and skills in a certain sport. I really uh, encourage uh, young people to train, and train, and develop their skills and become champions if that's what they're meant to be. It's you become a, a champion in the world. You're a great leader. I mean, there's uh, champions like well, I'm Swiss, so I'm going to mention our our top Swiss athlete, Roger Federer. Most people have probably heard about the. He's set the record of the greatest uh, um, Grand Slam titles of all times, and he's he's really a great leader. I mean, he, I, I for me, uh, it's not only because I'm Swiss. It's just uh, admiration for for the man he is. He also leads some humanitarian humanitarian actions, and he's a great leader. You can also become a leader in the arts. Uh, you can, if you think of lead actors or lead um, entertainers, uh, that's, that's a great way to be a leader too. If you have the talent, the skills to, do, to become a, a star or um, a great artist in, in um, let's say, painting or in, uh, in, in another art, in writing as an author, well, just go for it and do it. Don't think that leadership is limited to becoming a CEO in a multinational corporation or becoming a lead polit- politician. Patrick, in the time we have left, talk to us about basic
3: rule number four. We all hear about positive attitude, we all hear about passion. But it's right at the very top, isn't it? I mean, it's rule number four. It's one of your first things in your 33 basic rules because if you can't get up with a smile on your face and determination in your heart, you're probably not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish.
4: Yeah, Steve, you're absolutely right. This is rule number four, and it's uh, among the, the most important rules that um, I've actually um, – Made a lot of research before writing this book, and it turns out that a lot of leaders in, in 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 the in the modern times, in the 21st century or 20th century or in recent in recent times, they it's it's a clear feature of their of their one of their qualities is that they have this drive that keeps them going despite the obstacles, despite the problems despite the hard times, they keep really a positive attitude. Whatever is thrown at them, what life throws at them, they just keep on with an inner drive that other people don't have. And that's what I call lead and act with a positive attitude, optimism, enthusiasm, motivation, passion, and also confidence, will, firmness, assertiveness, and authority. It's, it's, it's a mix of different qualities, but it's going in the same direction. It's this inner drive that you've got to have if you really want to rise as a leader or a better leader in your professional and your uh, private lives. There are so many people that just get stuck on this issue uh, on a daily basis. They, they have two big problems or there are two, two big obstacles in their lives that they can't overcome and that's what limits them and prevents them from becoming really to going to the next level and becoming really true leaders in their professional private lives The title of the book is Lead Truly The 33
3: Basics to Achieve True Leadership Patrick, tell us the best way to get your
4: book My book is available online on exlibris.com amazon.com and barnsnoble.com Um. It might be available in some bookstores in the future. I'm working on it right now, but I can't tell you in which bookstores for the moment. And it's available, of course, uh, in North America and in Europe uh, from Mixlibris and uh, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's selling for fifteen dollars plus shipment, and um, you can also uh, check uh, out information on my profile if you're interested. Uh, you can find me on, uh, with vi- uh, presentation videos on youtube.com and uh, on linkedin.com you have my full profile as well and contact information whenever you're interested to uh, talking about something or interested in uh, uh, advice on leadership issues, whether it's personal leadership, which is one of aspect of leadership, or people leadership, leading groups or teams. Or thirdly, uh, organizational leadership, which has meant for top executives or CEOs running uh, big organizations in the world.
3: The author is Patrick Gonya. He has been talking to us on Ex Libris On Air. Uh, Gonya spelled G-O-G-N-I-A-T. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us.
4: Well, thank you very much, Steve, and uh, I hope you all uh, enjoy uh, the book that I wrote and that it inspires you. The the goal and the, the motivation I had was to inspire most people possible uh, all around the world, uh, men and women and young and adult people, teenagers or older people, uh, to become better leaders, and I hope uh, you will get inspired.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen.
3: The title of the book, Al's Twisted Mind. One more time, hun. And the author is Marie Jensen, and Marie joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Marie.
2: Good morning.
3: Great to have you with us. Now, why don't you give us kind of an overview of your book? Uh, you have some things you'd like to share with us.
2: First of all, I think I should say that this novel was uh, written for mature readers only. And second, yes, writing this book has been a very emotional trip for me because a portion of this novel represents my life. In this uh, Marie's novel, Al, Al Twisted Mine and it's under memori- Marie's memoir, Al's demands get out of control when he drives his wife, Marie, against her will. To live a very bizarre sex life, and it's only only her that knows the struggle she goes through in continuing to live a marriage full of destruction. And that be destruction such as masochism, uh, which consisted of her switching him, burning him, and cutting him, as well as Al's insistence that Marie go out with other men. Marie is she's religious to a fault because she won't break her marriage vows and free herself. Even after she finds out that Al is a paraphilic, she hangs on until she has been married for 24 years. A paraphilic is one who is distinguished as a person who has a preoccupation with an object or behavior in some way for their sexual gratification. It can be anything from women's panties to shoes to being excited about pornography as being their turn on. It could be in a mostly, well, what it is basically is an obsession. Willopedia has listed over 500 parapherias. When Marie finally divorces and takes time to think about all the wild things she's gone through for Al, her shameful thoughts, they have nowhere to go. So she researches why Al is the way he is and promises that someday she'll write a book and find psychiatrists to initiate a special program for molested boys. Uh, Molestation is what the psychiatrist attributed to Al's problems when he was molested at the age of 14. And I have found out that there are more more men than women who are afflicted with a paraphilia. But there is one thought that is redeeming about the whole situation is that according to research, my research, and I have Uh, Having paraphilia fantasies or behavior does not always mean the person has a mental illness. The fantasies or behavior can exist in less severe forms, which are not dysfunctional, and they don't impede the development of a healthy relationship, and they do not harm the individual or others, and they do not entail a criminal offense like pedophilia, voyeurism, exhibition and in some cases sexual masochism and sadism. And that basically is the thoughts I have on that.
3: So with that in mind, that overview of your story, uh, what was the driving force to do this?
2: Well, it was that I had so many notes because of that being a portion of my life. I had so many notes in my closet and so forth and such, and it came to a point where I had saved so many notes and everything, and then when I got my divorce, I uh, pulled them out and I researched about uh, Al and why she, he was the way he was. And when I came to that point, I thought, gee whiz, somebody should do something. So it's one of those cases, and I'm not the one to do it. I can't do anything, but I've had all this experience. And if I just get it into a a manuscript, eventually I can get a book. And that's how comes I did this.
3: Well, as you point out, what you want readers to learn from your book, uh, I'm just quoting you now. You say, women need to fight for their future if they want to ensure having available sexual compatible men. Talk a little bit more about that statement, women need to fight for their future.
2: Well, mostly the religious women are looking for someone that, that is per, pretty pure and so forth as a rule. not You know, I can't even judge because I haven't researched all of that. that. But men are uh, hard to find a compatible mate for, and I only see it getting worse with all this pornography, uh, with the uh, getting a, a change in a whole, we'll say, sexual field. And it makes harder for the one to find the other one that is uh, a match for them. And it seems that the women are in more trouble than the men are. Yes, it it is a memoir, written as a memoir.
3: So from birth to childhood into her late teens.
2: Yes, and then the book goes on, but that is the, yes.
3: So you're kind of setting up, really, all her problems that she goes through because of what she experiences as a young woman
2: uh... no what she experiences after her marriage
3: okay so. As
2: young as a young woman it started early but uh... she she was brought up very very wonderful family but it was almost too strict too strict because i was she she was told to uh... stay a virgin no matter what and to uh... O- uh... only when she got married she was to belong to her husband and that is where the whole problem came in because she really took that to heart and she couldn't let her family down because uh, if she got a divorce she was going to be disowned from the family and so she followed what her husband wanted her to do.
3: And along the way when she's younger she is raped before she uh, marries Al?
2: Right, that's a very, yes.
3: So she comes into the marriage with, uh, obviously, a lot of emotional trauma.
2: She does, yes, definitely. And then she gets this man that she thinks is going to uh, be wonderful and everything. And I was born so, uh, she was because I'm portion of this uh, is the reason I keep stammering. I was a portion of this book in my life, and other portions I was not
3: some of the book yeah, is based on your own experiences and some is based on your research
2: correct and some of it is talking to other women and what they have gone on with so it's a a mixture
3: <laughs> right a mixture so and
2: i'm not de- i'm not designated which which mixture which part is mine and which is the uh fiction
3: so do you see some solutions? Is there any kind of advice or solutions for parents, for uh, wives, husbands?
2: To uh, educate your children early on, because earlier than ever. But uh, of course, I was, it was so many years ago that uh, I'm talking about, because this went on through the 50s and the 60s, which is ancients ago. And, uh, but I I think the kids are on the wrong uh, route to what they're learning sexually, but I think it's probably what I'm talking about is the parents that probably might not even read something like this. And they're the ones that should read it and know about stuff like this, because if they don't know about stuff like this, there's no warning for the older, the ones that, you know, have come to of age to be looking for a mate. And, and some of them are still so sheltered, and you, it's hard to believe, but I see it.
3: <laughs> so your advice to parents, spiritual leaders, to help them teach their daughters, especially when daughters don't seem to leave a marriage when they probably, uh, you know, it's bizarre situations that these women get into, and then they seem to want to stay.
2: Correct. That You've got it. <laughs> yes. That's my thoughts.
3: And of course, as you point out, pornography is just—well, some even call it worse than a disease.
2: Yes, uh, I would—I would say that.
3: It's, it's an addiction.
2: It's an addiction, very definitely. I'd say an addiction. Plus, what they're talking about, this paraphilia—that word, a lot of people don't even know what it means. Now, I'm no professional in the, in this, but all I have is lifetime experience with uh, my kind of life I've lived. In life, sex is a lifelong struggle, which we don't always understand. We do know that nature's demands are put upon most of us to do something sexually, whether it be to bang ourselves against a wall or to fantasize in our imagination or let nature take its course, whatever that might be. It gets right down to mentally disturbing at times. In this novel, Al is a paraphilic. And then I described paraphilia earlier, but I'll repeat it here. Describe sexual arousal to objects, situations, or individuals that are not part of normative stimulation. Paraphilia involves sexual arousal and gratification involving sexual behavior that is atypical and extreme. By publishing this story through Marie's memoir, I hope to educate young ones so they know about the numerous strange sexual behaviors known as paraphilia and to possibly avoid mating up with one who has that problem, unless, as the old adage says, that's their cup of tea. It is thought that some paraphilias come about because a person is molested as a child. And it's only known years later when a wife or husband drags them into a psychiatrist's office we need more compatible couples it seems too many are meeting up willy-nilly with incompatible partners and when the naive ones are trapped with their idea of until death do us part it's usually a sad outcome uh, in marie's memoir al has struggles with masochistic flare-ups which according to Richard Rose's private psychology notes and paper published by Alan Fitzpatrick in his book, titled The Sex Connection, A Study of Desire, Seduction, and Compulsion, and it's put out by the Rose Publication in 2007. And it has, anyway, they're stated that uh, Al's problem has been more or less been caused by an obsession brought on by a mental fixation earlier in his life, and in Al's case, when he was molested at the age of 14. And I uh, have learned that a paraphilic suffers many times over from ideas imposed on their body from the time of molestation. According to Rose, it seems at that time their body is programmed or left in confusion to where they can't seem to escape from a need for those bomb-bursting orgasms, calling them back to the same deviant paraphilia. 21-year-old Al Jansen meets 18-year-old Marie Wharton, shy and naive, sheltered by her parents and brought up to marry for life and to be subservient to her husband and to never shame her family by getting a divorce, and to always love and respect her husband with joy and servitude. Her mind is set, and then she marries Al. My concern in writing this book about Al's twisted mind is to let parents of teenagers as well as others know that the sexual crisis is deepening and the young ones are at a cliff of more mixed-up lives in trying to find compatibility in a mate.
3: We've been listening to Marie Jensen. She's the author of her book, Owl's Twisted Mind. One more time, hon. Marie, what's the best way to get your book?
2: Uh, It would be at Barnes & Noble and Amazon, uh, exlibris.com. And uh, there's one more, Powell's Bookstore in Portland and other bookstores also could I say here, that they can get on the website and see, uh, and you put in mariejensen.com and the website, and you can leave a message. And if you want to view my video trailer, you punch in Al's Twisted Mind YouTube.
3: Well, thank you so much, Marie, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors,
1: right here on Ex Libris On Air.